Welcome to One Thought at a Time with Ian Travers, where we get curious about what makes us tick. I'm joined today with a man who's taken his own success and used it to help others. Welcome, Roger Cassidy. Thank you. Thank you for taking the time. Um, bit of a backstory, I suppose, um, and it will become clear when you tell us what you do, but I was so fascinated by visiting the site of, of what you do do now. So um, having built that anticipation up, please tell us, what do you do now? Right, well, I'm the Chair of Trustees for a humanitarian aid charity called Aquabox, uh, which is based in, um, in the Derbyshire Dales. Um, and we, in simple form, we produce water filters and then donate them out to communities in the aftermath of natural man-made disasters around the world. And so give us a, I mean, the, the thing itself, the water filter is, is, is quite, a, quite a design, isn't it? Tell us, tell us a bit more if you can, for people who are listening, just try and put in their mind, what is it that, describe the, the, the clever bit. Right, well, the, the, the water filter is a, a handheld ultrafiltration system, which um, in simple terms really is a case of you know, uh, forcing water through um, tiny holes in a, in a filter membrane. And those holes are small enough to allow water to go through, but to prevent all waterborne diseases such as cholera, typhoid, dysentery, diarrhea. So it's, it's a simple thing, you know, Someone will just pick, pick the machine up. They'll just start pumping the same way as you pump a, a sort of a, a bicycle pump. And then after after a couple of minutes, you'll get clean, safe drinking water. And you'll be dispensed through it. And the size as well. So there's two different sizes, isn't there? There's a, a smaller one and a larger one. Just just give us a sense of the of the That's, physical size of these. Well, the the, the the family filter is about is about about eighteen inches, out in each about half half a meter tall. Mm. And and then the the lar- the larger sort of community filter is probably about it's probably about, about a foot tall, but by but then is about maybe nine inches by nine inches, you know, sort of you know, square. Mm. And the the name Aquabox as well. So it, you you actually physically create a a box. So tell tell us a bit about the the idea behind it and what what is this box. Well, you know, the, the, the box really comes from the original concept of Aquabox, which was really to, you know, to respond to needs around the world. And that was not just providing safe drinking water, but also to provide items of shelter, items of hygiene, you know, you know cooking utensils, you know, sort of comfort items as well. Mm. And so all those items... Uh, which there used to be about sort of 50 or 60 of them would go into a box and then that would be sort of sealed up along with the um, the aqua filter mm. and then that would be dispatched to um, communities around the world in the aftermath of the big disasters. And it's quite interesting. So I, I had an insight into that when um, as part of my involvement with it, with Explorer Scouts, we, we visited mm. your, your facility um, and the they had the opportunity of trying to pack the box. Yeah. I mean, that is no mean feat. So no, give, give us a flavour of the, the type of equipment that goes into this box, which I guess I'm, I'm going to use my hands for people who are watching it on video, uh, but who, who are listening. I suppose we're talking about um, about uh, what half a metre? It's about half a metre. Half a metre wide by about yeah. 
300 mil tall, about 400 mil wide. So That's it's a, right. it's a, yeah. a pick-upable mm. box. So, it is. So yeah. what, what would a, a recipient of this find in that box? Well, the first thing they'd get, they'd get a, a couple of tarpaulins, which should be at the bottom, and then then there'd be you know, two buckets, mm. and there'd be a couple of stock pots. There'd then be sort of you know, bowls, plates, cups, which were all made of bamboo because we're trying to sort of use sustainable items. Mm-hmm. Uh, there would also be um, yeah, there would also be sort of uh, you know some education items mm-hmm. such as you know uh, you know such as you know, pens paper you know so, and small games as well the children can play with mm-hmm. um, and and also you know tools for actually rebuilding homes as well so yeah. there'd be hammers nails you know screwdrivers you know sort of things like that so so it's really aimed at people who have either lost everything. Or they perhaps moved into a refugee camp where they've just got a basic tent to work on, so they can then begin to rebuild their lives. I found it quite fascinating the the, the talk that your team there gave as well. Is it, it's a situation that I I think most people who will be listening to, to this podcast are in the mm. fortunate position of never having to be displaced, mm. like um, you mm. know the people that that you help and. Looking at that box from that point of view, somewhere to give your family shelter, create you know that the fresh water that you're talking about. I was completely fascinated mm. by it. So give us a sense of where where have you sent boxes over over the time that you've been in existence? Well, we've we've sent them to something like about twenty six different countries around the world wow. dur- during that period, mm. and that. Um, I guess one of our it remains one of our biggest responses was after the tsunami in two thousand and four, well, yeah. where we sent out to Sri Lanka, to you know, to Malaysia, to Thailand, mm-hmm. you know, all the countries which surrounded the epicenter of that um, big tsunami, and that that remains the you know I think we had people working round the clock to actually um, meet that demand, but but bring it more up to up to date really. Mm-hmm. Um, over the last um, 18 months, uh, much of our responses have been out to Ukraine in the okay. aftermath of the um, what's going on over there at the moment, mm. um, and also out to out to Turkey and Syria following the the earthquakes which took place mm. there, and then but also in addition to that, there's been other things which have gone under the radar a little bit like there were some very bad floods in eastern africa right about six months ago now so we sent quite a lot of aid out to malawi as well and one thing which we've for a long term we've supported because it's something we feel very passionate about is the um the terrible things which are happening in yemen and so we've actually for the last six years we've been sending out you know a couple of shipments of our aid packages wow. out to Yemen during that period as well. And and a lot of the places that you're helping, they're, they're just not reported in the popular media, are they? They, no. they, they As you say, they, they mm. go under the radar. Yeah. Yeah. If people mm. wanted to find out uh, a bit more about what you what you do, how, how could they do that? Well, we've um, we've, we've got a, a website that we try to you know, keep up to date, really. That's um, www.aquabox.org. Uh, we've also got a fairly active Facebook page as well, as well as Instagram, and so we, and um, we do endeavour. But um, in addition to that, you know, we're always 
happy to welcome people to our depot, which is between Worksworth and Cromford, just on top top of the hill in in, Dar- in Derbyshire Dales as well. In the most unexpected, unlikely place as well. I mean, this is the thing mm. I think, you know, that there's yeah. this a marvellous piece of work being done in the middle of a small town in Derbyshire. Yep. That's right. Yeah. You mentioned about people working around the clock as well. Tell mm. us a little bit more about that because this is largely run by volunteers, isn't it? Yes, that's right. Yeah, so we, tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, with the exception of one part-time depot manager who manages, you know, the procurement of the items that we send out there, as well as the, you know, managing the shifts and the warehouse, uh, we've got something like about seventy volunteers that come to our depot each week to assemble the filters to pack the boxes and to carry all the necessary logistics and warehousing duties you know that are involved in sending out these um dispatches out um, in the aftermath of the disasters and the, I mean, just going back to the filter you mentioned about assembling the filter that was the mm. other thing that again i was quite quite surprised impressed about as well this isn't just a this water pump that you you just buy in you actually assemble it we do. That's right. Yeah, the the filters are made up of about you know sort of forty or forty five separate component parts, mm. and it's a two day process to assemble these filters. Mm. So the you start off with a a core membrane, which is where the ultrafiltration um, you know sort of you know, straw membranes are mm. within, and then you're then you're you're gluing tops and bottoms onto it. You're also you know putting um, the you know the sort of pump on the side of it. You're then including you know, brackets to be able to, you know, secure the whole thing together. And then it will get tested to make sure that it complies with WHO water standards, so that each and every one is you know has been fully tested. And so when it arrives at the, you know, the recipient that really needs to get that safe water, they can be assured that um, it's it's producing safe drinking water for them. And how long does it does it last for? Well, it's a good question actually, because we've had um, when we originally sort of developed the idea, which um, actually came from a a concept from a the originator of the idea up in the northeast, a chap called John Griffiths. Mm. He saw he he approached us and said, "Look, would you like to put this into your into your aqua boxes?" Mm. And we said. Yeah, looks great, really. And so we worked with him to miniaturize it so it could fit in the box. Mm. And then our th- our thinking was is that okay, maybe these will last perhaps for you know eighteen months, two years. But in in reality, we've actually had some of these which have been you know were put in as a test bed in Gambia, you know, eight or nine years ago now, and wow. they're still going now, wow. which is amazing. Because it's the filter, it's, it's not a replaceable filter, is it? Because that's no. the picture I think many people have in their heads, but it's that's not. Right. No, no. So there's a secret for getting it to work is that there's a backflush mechanism. So every 24 hours, you know, we in our instructions to to the users, we'll we'll ask we'll we'll ask them that they should actually do the backflush, mm. which essentially is a um, is a way of sort of, you know sealing the inside of the filter, then pumping vigorously putting clean water through it and that will then force all the dirt and the muck which is held on the the filter membranes it will push it up to a um a top chamber yeah. and then simply by opening another valve it then gets some um, expelled out and, then and it's back. it's clean and good and ready to go again it's yeah. amazing mm. absolutely amazing mm. so 
how is it something that you are you are keen for people to get involved with? Yes, it is. We're always keen to spread the word. Yeah, yeah. I think we are. We're probably one of these. You know, another of these things which is probably a, a great secret which doesn't really you know, spread out too much beyond the um, mm. the Derbyshire Dales area, really. And so we're always very keen for people to spread the word, for them to actually come and visit us, to find out what they can do, you know, to to raise funds, to allow us to continue the the work that we're doing because we're. We rely completely on um, on funds that come from from supporters mm. to keep the operation going. And also, I guess as well as that, as you say, you, it's it's volunteers to come along and, and physically assemble the filters and pack the boxes too. Yes, that's right. We do we do have a plan that we're um, we're hoping to um, double our output over the next um, twelve months. We've managed. We've been fortunate to get a number of local companies who've been working with us. They've supplied free of charge they're a manufacturing experts and they've looked at our processes looked at our operations and and are in the process of redesigning some of those at the moment so that we're able to you know you know double double that output and invariably that will that will lead to a need to try and you know expand our workforce to look at some um, ways in which you know people can help us or perhaps help us to to raise money, to raise profile, to you know, to generally you know, you know, you know expand the operation really. And um, if you're looking for people to sort of help in that point of view, what what kind of what kind of skill set does, does someone need to have to, to come and help? Well, the the skills. It, it, ironically, I think one certainly one of the um, a lot a lot a lot of our filter assemblers are. Um, our ex plumbers actually, cause, really, because we find that they they've got you know because a lot of it is about putting tubes together and about mm-hmm. sort of doing this and the other, but but that that's not the only things we do because we because we're also packing the boxes yes. and so the um, so that you know we you know we give some sort of fairly fairly basic training on mm-hmm. on how to fit all the items into the box yes <laughs> and to seal things off, um, but um, but also we're looking for people to help with our logistics operations. You know, a lot of a lot of the complexities of actually sending aid out to these countries is um, is making sure you've got the logistics right, all the customs clearances in place, and so you know people with that kind of expertise as well. Great. You know, as well as you know social media skills and that sort of thing to spread the word more. So it's Great. so it's really there's an awful there's a there's a broad range of you know, skills we're always looking for. So. And if someone um, feels that they 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 can help in some way, shape, or form. How how would you like them to get in contact? Well, I think probably through the website is probably the best best way initially. Um, but but also just you know sending through a request, you know, asking a question on on Facebook as well would mm. would would get through to the right people, and we'd also be able to sort of follow up that way as well. So great mm. stuff. And if anybody again wants to reach out to the organisation. Um, you know, if uh, if we receive any inquiries as well, we will pass them straight through to Thank you as well. You. So, um, well, look, that that's a great um, what you do now. Um, mm. So, my inevitable question is going to be: How on earth did you end up doing that? How how did you get there? Well, it's uh, yeah, it's interesting. I'd um, I'd spent most of my my professional life in the in the pharmaceutical industry, and and that had taken me to a number of countries around the world. I did a lot of work in India and in China as well as you know other countries in the Far East and I'd seen with, with my own eyes really just 
just how awful it is if people don't have access to safe drinking water. Mm. Um, in those days, I was um, I was living in in the southeast and you know, mm. working in London, and we moved up to up to Derbyshire, and I got involved with the um, the local Rotary Club in mm. in Worksworth, and it just turned out turned out that they had been the original starters of um, of Aquabox. Okay, and and so I started off just by volunteering, just by packing the boxes, just like right. you did yourself. Ian. Yes, yes. Um, and you know, but with a background in in logistics and also and um, and purchasing, I fairly soon you know felt well, I can probably add more to add more to the party, really. Brilliant. And so I uh, fairly soon I then you know became a, a trustee and mm. took on the responsibilities for for managing those sort of areas. And then, you know, yeah, more recently was also looked after the, the treasury functions within the... And then five years ago, I um, got asked to become chair of trustees. Right. And so ever since then, I've um, been trying to, you know, to hold the whole ship together and, you know, <laughs> bring in the right skills and, you know, you know, you know take, take the whole charity forward, really. Brilliant. Mm. What, what was it, do you think, um, when you were travelling to those different countries, what... You know, try try and most of us will never see what you probably saw. Mm. Just try and help us understand what was it that you saw that you felt you needed to do something about. Well, I think I think the things that really struck me was I remember once going to you know driving through a very small village in um, eastern India, mm. and and there was and there was a whole queue of people was sort of gathering around this. Um, this single water pipe and this mm. sort of thing, and uh, and it was mainly young children. And um, I said, "Well, what's happening? Why, why are all those children around there?" And said, "Well, that is the water source for um for that um that village." And there were probably about you know three or four thousand people in that village, and um and they had just just this one almost like a, just a hose coming off the um coming off the hillside. You know, who knows how clean the water was really, um, mm. but it really struck in my mind that I thought, gosh, this is, you know, when we think we just, you know, take water for granted, really. And here's, this is a life-giving thing. And, and these children are, you know, providing the means of, you know, keeping their whole families alive, really. Hmm. I think that's what really, really hit me hard. Yeah. We are very fortunate, aren't we, really, in, 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 that, mm. in that respect? Yeah. Um, what does it make you, you think when you, I mean... Various water companies have been topical, haven't they, in the news over recent months and years. We won't we won't mention any of them, but when we see in our country um, it being messed with, what, what does that make you make you feel when you think about the work that you're doing to people who are really in difficulty? Well, I think it really brings home you know how much we you know, we, we we waste we waste our water here. Really, I mm. think it's you know you know my father worked in the water industry for a lot of years. You know. Mm. Um, and and he used to, he used to talk about it being our most precious but our most abused resource really. Well, and I think that was and I think that applies even now, forty years on from when when he retired from the industry. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Do you think there's? Do you think even without coming and necessarily, if people don't feel they're in Derbyshire and don't feel they can come and directly help, mm. is there anything that you think in general that we could we could all do to to contribute to the cause? You know. Yes, there, there certainly is. We we've got a um, we've got a network of ambassadors around around the country. In fact, 
beyond the country. We've got them in, in Europe and in the, in the North America as well. And those people, we encourage them to, you know, to give talks on behalf of Aquabox, mm -hmm. to, you know, to perhaps attend shows and, and other events, really. And also, you know, perhaps take part in, you know, delivering their own sort of, you know, sort of, you know podcasts or own sort of, you know, communication means in their, own, in their own countries or their own regions of the, of the country, really. Uh, you know, just to try and raise awareness and if it resonates with people and they feel they'd like to financially support or practically support us, then that's fantastic. And that's really how we will continue to grow, really. Brilliant. So just switching back to um, to yourself, so a career in, in pharmaceuticals. Mm. So how did you end up there? What was what were your drivers and influences that ended up you being in pharmaceuticals? Well, I, I suppose I'd, I'd already come, always come from a, a scientific background. I mentioned my father was a water engineer, mm. and um, and so I my I studied environmental science at university, and you know thoroughly enjoyed that. And I think in a um, in a different environmental climate, I probably would have ended up working as an environmental scientist, but. Sadly, in the early '80s, there weren't too many openings around right, yeah. in that area. So I, um, so I, I got, I got it. I got involved more on the commercial and the um, and the the accountancy and legal side of things, and mm. trained as a trained as a chartered account, a chartered um, secret company secretary. Okay, and then through that, I then um, you know moved in, spent some time working in in procurement and sort okay. of central contracting and. And I thoroughly enjoyed that, and it was great. And I um, got involved in you know you know offshore operations in the in the gas industry. Right. But then they um, they wanted me to move back down to London again, having sort of, and having settled on the Lancashire coast, I was reluctant. And right. And an opportunity came up to work for um for Glaxo up in the um up on the uh, in Alverston uh, up in up in the South Lakes okay and lovely. I thought well I'm, I've always loved walking and climbing so mm. I thought this um ticks an awful lot of boxes yeah brilliant. and so I started my role you know working as a purchasing manager in there and then um, gradually moved around to, you know traveled all over the world you know in around the UK and Singapore and India China you know just working with working my way up through the organization to um you know, to become one of the you know the 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 outsourcing directors with them, and then, but but then retired a you know quite young, and so was able to do things like this. It's brilliant. It's mm. I, I'm I'm curious with all that you know that that the travelling and the work that you did. What what was it about those roles that that you enjoyed? Um, I've always loved travel, and right. I think and meeting new people. Mm. I used to find you know was. I first started traveling out to um, India and China, you know, before mobile phones, before, you know, you know, ready access to, you know, jet planes and things like that. Yeah. And so I would, um, I'd tr if I was going out to China, I would, I'd fly out to what was Hong Kong, mm -hmm. uh, a British territory in those yes. days, and would then sort of, you know, pick up my, um, my visa to go into, into China. Yeah. And then I would, you know, phone phone my phone my wife from the hotel room said i'm going in now <laughs> and so and i would take a take a flight in i would um you know go and carry out my business for you know probably for three or four days yeah she wouldn't hear anything from me right. and then hopefully i would then coincide my return back with the the next return flight back to <laughs> that to hong kong and come home and 
I found that very exciting. It was going to visit, you know, collective farms to look at, you know, the much of the, um, the starting materials for pharmaceutical products are vegetable products. Okay. You know, you know, things that come, say, from the sisal plant and things like that. Right. And so, so I would have, part of my response would be to oversee the, you know, the crop growing of those sisal plants and make sure they were being well looked after. Yeah. And so I'd be dealing with um, the collective farms in, in those areas. And then through that, I'd then put deals together. And then we would then sort of start getting those... Um, those starting materials, which we could then make, you know, the the products that are used for for asthma and other other wow. sort of diseases in in the Western world. Yeah. That's fascinating. Mm. Mm. On your travels as well, do you have a? Is there a favourite place? Is there a place which really you know you you would you have or would like to return to? Um, well, I think you know place you know places like you know, Singapore and Hong Kong do actually sort of switch out. Um, obviously, mm. a little pretty bit nervous about going to Hong Kong these days. But um, but you know, Singapore, I I spent a, a number of months there, and mm. I always found it a very exciting place to visit, and um, a place that seems to be able to reinvent itself every every ten years or so. So. It's, it's probably very different to what it was when I was last there 15 years ago. So. It's interesting. I've, I, I've mm. visited Singapore a few times, and I've, I mm. must admit, I, I do enjoy it for mm. many of the reasons you've described there. And it also feels, <laughs> for such a busy place, it feels very safe, probably the right word. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's very interesting. Mm. Mm. Yeah, it is very much that way. But also when you go around you know, little corners, you can find a little bit of little india or you know a bit of the some of the original you know chinese communities so it it's it's certainly done made an effort to actually preserve some of the a bit of the old singapore as well as the yes. ultra modern as well so i think the mm. one thing that uh, is probably <laughs> what's the name of the fruit which is illegal to take in a taxi oh, the, durian. the durian the durian yes. yeah. <laughs> yeah that's uh, that's an acquired taste oh, isn't it <laughs> It's pretty, yeah. I think you have to hold your nose when you eat it, don't you? Yes, <laughs> yes. It's one of those things where um, mm. they, people often say, don't they, you should try things twice. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think I didn't get to a second. No, no, I think <laughs> I've only tried it once. once as well, yeah. so. Brilliant. Um, look, that's that's great. Thank you for that so far. And I'm going to start bringing it to a close. I've got a couple of questions which, I would, which I'd like to, to finish mm. on. Um, one is a question we ask, we ask every guest, and I just wonder... Let's assume we can conquer time travel, mm. and you could write the the, the younger you a letter mm. for you to find and read. What do you think, knowing what you know now? What do you think you would write to yourself? Mm. Well, I think I would certainly I would tell myself to work harder at university and, and at school for a start. I think I probably was rather, but I think a lot of it is. Um, one of the things I've learned most is is to try and you know enjoy what you do really mm. you know and I've you know you you can't always do what you enjoy but um, if you enjoy what you do you know I've always you know no matter where I've gone whether I've been sort of you know sent to you know sort of northern Finland or you know the far reaches of South America or yeah. elsewhere I've always felt that you know uh, this is an opportunity and I should make the most of it really and um you know, no matter how tired I am, I always, when I landed in a new place, I'd always make the effort to go out to explore the area, 
to see what's happening. Sometimes gets you into trouble. I think I did walk around a bits of Oakland and you know just across the bay from you know from San Francisco. I was told, God, you must be mad walking around there. There's, there's more murders here than anywhere else. But I survived. Yeah. And, um, and I I found those things very very enlightening. And so it's really very much live live as much as you can and make the most of every every opportunity that comes to you really brilliant mm. that's great in um this second season of the podcast as well we've been asking previous guests to leave a question for subsequent guests <coughs> um so here we have um a question which has been left um for you to answer what is one fear you have which you are not currently attempting to overcome Oh gosh! What's um, one fear you've got which you're not attempting to overcome? That's a very difficult one, actually. Um, what's a fear I'm not doing? I suppose, in some ways, I'm probably you know, in a you know, I'm I'm now I'll be sixty-five at my next birthday, and I suppose one of the fears I'm not trying to overcome is perhaps you know maybe I've not been planning as much as I should have done you know for okay. the future really you know mm. you want here's terrible things about you know people hanging on and you know you know life not um, not being great and and to me you know quality of life is so much more important than longevity of life really Brilliant. and so a fear i feel i should be confronting is you know how will i manage you know what could be another 30 years of life yeah you know, if i live as long as my mother and you know what will i do to actually ensure that i get the most out of that and you know, I'm not. How will I address that? Mm. That's great. Oh, well, maybe we can um, we can talk about that in a subsequent podcast if we come and talk to you <laughs> down at the, uh, the the unit. Um, Roger, that's been brilliant. Um, I will then ask you. You now get the pleasure of um, leaving a question for someone else to answer. What 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 would you like someone else to answer? Do you think? Well, I I think there's yeah there's a lot of there's a lot of the a lot of people in the world who don't really sort of you know you know sort of you know enjoy all the comforts and all the all the, the well-being that, that that we have you know over here really. I know there are people suffering here but it's it's nothing like one sees you know out in some of the countries we respond to hmm. and and I would like to ask people say you know what what are they doing to to try and sort of, you know, you know, sacrifice some of the things they're doing to actually make life better for people, you know, in areas where less fortunate than themselves, really. So. What a great question. I look forward to the answer to that with a subsequent mm. guest. Roger, thank you ever so much for taking the time mm. to come on the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to have the conversation with you. Mm. So that has been One Thought at a Time with our guest this time, Roger Cassidy. If you have been, thanks for listening.